Lord, let's just pray for a minute before we get started. Father, we're grateful for another opportunity to hear the Word of God. Father God, we declare that everything that we would speak here, we want to bring glory and honor to you, to Jesus Christ, and to the Holy Ghost. We thank you, Father God, right now for rhema. We thank you for spoken words, Father, to individuals, Lord Jesus, answers, Father, to problems, Lord Jesus, and questions. Thank you, Father God, for diverse revelation, Father. Thank you, Father. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're the teacher. You lead us into truth and knowledge. It's about the truth right now. Everything that we speak, everything that we focus on, help us to speak, to hear only the truth tonight. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. So we're talking about trusting, trusting God. That is a word for us, trust. That was the the title of the series. And so we'll see if we're going to make it through tonight or not because we're going to be off now for the next at least two weeks because I'm going to be gone next week and then I'll be out of town next week and then Father's heart will be uh, well Father's heart is kicking in Um, uh oh it it connected up that's Pastor CJ's fault right there everybody (laughs) Uh, so I'm not 100% exactly when we're going to start back up, but stay tuned on Sunday morning for the announcement, okay? I just know for sure for the next the next two weeks we're going to be off, because I'm going to be off or out of town next week, and then the following week we don't want to wear people out, because Father's Heart, I think, will be beginning or ending, I, one of the two, be beginning actually the next day, be the, be the uh, eighth. So um, for sure the next two weeks we will not be meeting, okay? Is everybody, no, everybody's... This is yes and this is no. Okay, cool. All right. So we talked last week. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in reviews, so just go back and get the uh, MP, download the MP3 or listen to it on your iPodcast if you'd like to um, because I have a lot of ground to cover tonight. And my purpose is to try to get through all this. I don't know if it's going to happen or not. So we'll just see. Uh, we talked about Abraham. If you all remember Abram more specifically, and his life, as it's chronicled in Genesis, being really a clinic of trust. If you want to learn about, really, case in point, lessons in trusting the Lord and developing trust, Abram's life is, is, is a model. I mean, it really is. There's so many specific things that, that Abram goes through that really give us a good, a good context, a good background, good foundation, and a lot of items built on that in terms of this trust issue. And so we talked about some of the lessons. And, uh, you know, honestly, I, I'm not telling you that I've iterated every single lesson possible out of this, but these are the ones that the Holy Spirit has, has highlighted to me. And uh, first of all, I want to tell everybody, I, it is not my purpose to discuss the fullness of, of all the revelation in Abram's life here. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just focused on one aspect, and it's trust. There are so many things in the story of Abram that we can learn, but I'm not, that's not my purpose. My purpose is to talk about one aspect, and that is Abram as a model of trust, developing trust in God. And so, um, you know, three questions that we started out with. What does it mean to trust God? How do you trust Him? And then do I trust Him? You know, those are, those are questions that I wanted you to kind of keep, um, moving in your background as we go through these, uh, points. Um, the first lesson, we talked about was obedience, and we spent probably two-thirds of our time, if not three-quarters of our time, on this one lesson. The Holy Ghost just gave me 
he would not let me up. It was just like more, yeah, no, you need to go this, develop this point, develop this point. And, um, you know, we talked about the fact that, you know, first of all, Abram was given a directive before he was ever given a promise, right? And anytime you're given a directive, there's, there's a choice to be made. Are you going to obey or not? You know, obedience is that first really kind of ground level of trust. And, uh, you know, we talked about several aspects of that. You know, Abram did obey. We saw, saw that. We talked about trust and obedience. It's kind of a chicken and egg deal. Which comes first? Well, you can't really obey unless you trust, but you can't really trust unless you obey. It's just kind of a chicken and egg thing. I talked about that. And the fact that obedience is really of utmost importance to God, above, above, above the process, above, above the things that we might put a, a value in in terms of what we know has established the presence of God in our life or created a context for it. God's not about the process. He's about the posture. And that is trust. That is, that is obedience. You know, we talked about Saul as an example in that. And the second lesson, so let's, let's move on down. The second lesson was, you know, we, you learn early and often to call on God, right? Boy, Abram did. Particularly when you find yourself between, you know, Bethel and Ai, which is the house of God or a heap of ruins. You know, you might be hanging in the balance. You, you re- definitely need to be calling on God then. Third lesson, be careful to look for the world for provision. We talked about Abram going to Egypt. Egypt's the type of the world. And uh, so I want to, I think we... we we basically almost finished that, but I've got a little bit to, to, to develop more on that concept. So let's talk about that for just a little bit. You know, when we, and we're in Genesis chapter 13. So if you want to turn there, Genesis chapter 13, this, this founds uh, or creates, if you will, or is the context scripturally of what we're talking about, 13, 1 through 4. We see that, that basically Abram has come back from Egypt and he's going back to the place that he was before in terms of when he called on God, when he heard from God, that place between Ai and Bethel again. And, you know, he considered basically his his former altar of worship where he experienced God, where he had a renewal of that promise made, where there was a potential for his attitude, you know, to be framed, you know, concerning the promise. And... um and so he went back to that. And, you know, I told you all, in my opinion, I think this is a great, a great illustration of repentance. Turning back. Anytime, I mean, repentance just means turn back. We've put a lot of religiosity to that concept. Oh, you gotta be down on your hands and knees groveling and crying and snot flying and everything or else it's not true repentance. Well, no. If you really look at the definition of true repentance from a biblical, biblical perspective, sure there's humility involved. Because guess what? It goes back to the obedience thing. Obedience is the submission of your will to someone else. You know what I'm saying? And that's what repentance is about. You're submitting your will to, to, to another's, i.e. God. And in that process, you know, there doesn't necessarily have to be groveling and crying and everything. It's just like, oh, I'm going the wrong way here. I'm going to go back. That's all repentance is. It's turning back. It's going the opposite direction that you're going. And, you know, it may not be that you're in blatant disobedience. It's just that all of a sudden you've got light that came and you realize, ooh, this is not where I should go. So now you turn back and go the opposite way. That's repentance. It's not that you're in blatant sin. You know what I'm saying? Now, there are a lot of times you are in sin and that's repentance is called for. But it may not be that you're in some blatant sin or whatever. You know, it just may be you find yourself in a place you shouldn't be. 
you know, uh, because of whatever reason, you know, it's just, this is not the right place. Okay. I'm going to turn and go back. And that's what Abram did. And so, but what I want to talk about here a little bit and develop this point just a little bit more, uh, let's go to Matthew chapter six, Matthew chapter six. Everyone's very familiar with uh, some scriptures in Matthew chapter six, particularly verse 33. Technology is wonderful when it works. Why will it not go to Matthew chapter 6? Okay. And uh, I don't want, I'm not going to go down through this whole chapter, obviously, but I want to focus in particularly on um, uh, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, red letter in my Bible and yours, Jesus speaking. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Most of the time. Do not worry about your life only on Fridays or Sundays. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear is not life more food about more than food, the body more than clothes. You know, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are they not much more valuable? Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Okay, and um, and then we go on down here, and then we see, uh, you know, down in verse 33. Well, let me just start there in verse 31. So, again, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Okay? Again, this is Jesus speaking now. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And it says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because today has enough worries for itself. Is that not true? My goodness. You know, we've got enough worries going on right now as we sit here to be concerned about what's going to happen tomorrow. I mean, that's what Jesus is saying. Come on, let's be concerned about the here and now. And the bottom line is, whatever you're anxious about, it, it, there should be no anxiety in your life, and particularly about the rudiments of your life's being. Things, food, clothing, basic uh, necessities. I mean, Jesus iterates this very clearly here. And uh, I just want to talk just a little bit about worry here. Because worry, you know, really what worry is, it's covert distrust. It's covert distrust. You know what I mean by covert? It means it, it's secret. It's a spy. It's something that's, that's, that's clandestine. I mean, it's something that is, that, that, that is hidden kind of from obvious, you know, revelation or obvious, uh, knowledge. It's covert because to a degree it looks okay. In fact, I've grown up, you know, uh, around grandmas and stuff, you know, and you hear the concept a lot of times coming from good loving grandmas that it's my job to worry. You know, and they I did uh, hun, I just worry so much about you. Hun, I worry so much. And uh, you know, there's nothing in scripture that supports that. And and you know, really it's distrust. It's you taking on an element of concern and care for yourself in spite of God's care and concern for you. It's elevating your care and concern above God's. That's what worry is in my mind. Does that not make sense? 
It's just like righteousness. It's the same thing. Whenever you choose not to accept the gift of right standing that God offers you and gives you upon your salvation, and you are still trying to earn your way to him, it's as good as saying the blood of Jesus was not good enough. And it's the same thing here. You know, when you choose to worry, you're, you're choosing to say that my, you know, what God has to offer in terms of all these things Jesus laid out so very clearly about do not consider this, do not worry about that, whatever. It, my, my ability to take care of myself supersedes that of God's. And, and what I'm looking is at, at that I'm coming up short. And so I'm concerned. See, that's what worry really is. It's fear in disguise. So it's covert distrust. It's fear in disguise. And you know, what is fear? If you want to divine fear very simply, it's faith in circumstance. There really is no difference between fear and faith. Faith or fear is really faith. But it's in the wrong thing. Because what is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Well, fear is the substance of things you do see. And it's the things you expect because what you do see in the natural it works exactly the same. Guess what? You know, speaking those things that are not as though they are, fear does the same thing. Oh, my goodness. I don't know. I, I can't see the end of this circumstance. I, I, I fear it's going to be the death of me. How many of y'all have ever heard that statement? I heard it today come out of someone's mouth. My goodness, that's one of the worst things you could ever say. It's, this thing's going to be the death of me. Oh, my goodness. Why would you say that? It's faith in the circumstance. So again, it's, there's, where's faith in God here? You're elevating the circumstance and your perception of that over your trust in God. That's worry. That's what fear really is. And we're commanded, commanded. Therefore, do not worry. We're commanded not to worry about our daily necessities, but yeah, how much of our concern and element of, of thought is about that? I'm just throwing things out for consideration here. And if you look at verse 33 again, that's the one that all of us are so familiar with. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be given unto you. Well, we're going to get into it here in just a little bit. But if you recall what I talked about back on, I think, the 31st of March with respect to one aspect of of, a lesson of trust here, you'll recall that that God uh, or that. It said about Abram that he believed God and it was credited to him as what? Well, when Abram believed God, really the word believe is not, I don't feel like it's effectively translated there. Because if you look at the Hebrew, it really means Abram trusted God and it was credited to him as righteousness. If you look at that, the Holy Spirit just showed this to me just plain as day. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this is so awesome. God, you, you really know what you're talking about here. All this stuff really lines up. It's just amazing all the time, you know. It's like, and then you think to yourself, why would I ever think God, it wouldn't line up. But, you know, that's your, that's the frailty of the human mind, you know, and reasoning. But anyway, um, so Abram believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. Really, he trusted God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so what, what I see in this scripture is a direct, if I, if I would take that, that translation or that, that concept and look here at verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, I think that means to, by part of seeking first, you know, your right standing, part of you actually receiving your right standing is going to be about trust. It's going to be about trust. 
I think I'm just going to submit for your consideration. I believe that a lot of people that struggle with condemnation and guilt, the main reason for that is because of ignorance, because they do not trust righteousness. They do not have a concept or revelation of righteousness. They don't have a concept. And guess what? It's probably because they don't trust it. I spilled the beans too early. Probably because they don't trust it yet. And you know why? Because, you know, it says that Abram believed God. He trusted God and it was credited as righteousness. I say that it's no different. In the new covenant, guess what? You've got to trust the blood of Christ. And it's credited as righteousness to you. It's imputed, in fact. It's it, it's put upon you and actually uh, recreates your fiber from a spiritual perspective. Y'all see what I'm saying there? So I've got to tell you, trust is so important here, even as it pertains to righteousness. Those of y'all that, that may struggle as you sit here right now with condemnation, with guilt, with unworthiness, I've got to tell you that perhaps an issue that you need to work on is trust. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about trusting God. I mean, really what it comes down to, folks, let's just boil it down to the residue. Either Jesus' blood was good enough, either his sacrifice was good enough, or it was not. You've got to settle that. That's right. Amen. You've got to settle that in your heart. And you've got to let that become a, a, an illumination to your understanding. You've got to get understanding. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. He that has ears to hear, let him understand. You need to understand. Oh, uh, I think I will accept that Jesus' sacrifice was good enough for me. That there's nothing I could do that his blood didn't pay the penalty for. Amen? Amen. And then what you got to do is tell yourself over and over and over that. Whenever that, that condemnation comes, whenever that guilt comes, whenever that unworthiness comes, you say, no, no, I trust God. I trust what the word says. I trust that I received an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. And I do rule and reign by one Jesus Christ. And it was all a gift. Even the faith to receive that gift was a gift. And all of us got the same same faith to do that. That's what it says over in Second Peter. Okay, so I got to be careful not to get off on too much rabbit trailing here. And then if you go over to James one five, since we're talking about worrying, let's just look at that right quick. I can already tell you, I don't think I'm going to make it through. But I got to go with what the, where the unction's at. Amen. That's where the life is at. James 1, 5. James 1, 5. Let's look at this. Everyone's familiar with this one, too. If anyone lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. In other words, God's not going to sit there and go, uh, uh, you know, Amy, uh, she did these things today and doesn't deserve the wisdom she's asked for. No, it says he gives without finding fault. What do you got to do? The condition is you ask. If you lack wisdom, you ask. Then I want to see that verse 6 needs to be coupled with that. But when you ask, everybody say, but when you ask. Okay, if you ask, then you got to believe. There's another scripture that says, if any man comes to God, he must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder. Then why are we coming to him? That's, that's, to me, that's lunacy. Man, that's, that's foolishness. 
So you've got to know going into this deal that if you ask God something in accordance with his will, he's going to hear you and he's going to give you what you ask. And we know it's his will for us to have wisdom, right? I mean, we don't even have to ask that question. And, you know, God is, you know, is it your will for me to have wisdom about what I need to do today on with regard to this situation, how I need to handle it? I mean, God's up there going, what? Yeah, man, here, are you, are you wanting some? You know, he's waiting for us to ask for it, to give him permission to, to give us that download. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. It says that person shouldn't expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. I've got to submit to you that you want to talk about worry. You want to talk about anxiety. You know, you want to talk about, you know, distrust. To ask God something and then you don't have any more belief that what you've asked of him, knowing full well that something he wants to give you, that you're going to receive, I, I mean, that's, uh, that to me is the height of distrust. Why, why, why would you, and, and, and then you're going to turn back after you've asked it and say, well, I don't deserve it anyway. Oh, I, I don't know that I can receive, you know, receive the revelation about this or get any understanding. Oh, it seems to be the same day after day. It doesn't matter. I've asked God already for, for light on this. Y'all see what I'm saying? You know, we're talking about, um, you know, a a, a lesson, you know, about trusting God here. And we got, we talked about worry here, talking about worry. But the thing is, is that all these verses, verses five through eight, they all go together. You can't just pull out the cherry. You can't cherry pick the verse five and say, oh, I just asked God for wisdom. I want to get it. But then you forget about verses six through eight and you turn back around and you discount what you've asked God for by, by, uh, groveling in unworthiness by doing, uh, you know, or being anxious, you know, having anxiety, being fearful, you know, not expecting to hear from God. It's a trust issue. Quite simply, as far as I'm concerned, it's a trust issue. Okay, let's talk about the fourth lesson. We're going to move on here. Fourth lesson. So your journey, and we're talking about Abram now as the model here. Your journey may lead you in a different direction. Man, this is a good one. Man, this is a good one. Are you ready for it? Your journey, you may find that your journey in this whole trusting God thing may lead you in a different direction from your friends and, yes, even your family. Amen? Now, that's a hard pill to swallow. It is. You're talking about your own mom and dad? It might lead you on a... <laughs> you know, on a, on a different path from them, from your sister, from your father, whom you dearly love, from your great grandma, who there's no one next to God any better in this earth. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's exactly what I'm talking about. You know, what did, what did this whole thing start out with for Abram in terms of his directive? Get up from where you're at. And in particular, from your father's household and go to the place I'm going to show you. Y'all see that? He told him straight up. I mean, right off the bat, it's, it's separating him from his family, from his friends, from where he grew up, from the comforts of his environment. Y'all see that? We can go on and on and on, you know, iterating this. You know, I think about Lot. 
You know, and I told you that his, his name, if you look it up in the Hebrew, means covering or wrap. And I just referred to him as blanket. You know, like Michael Jackson called one of his kids blanket, you know. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, anyway, you know, that's what old Lot was. He was old blanket. You know, Lot took, or Abram took Lot with him. He was a piece of his old family, connection back to his old family. Now, you know, it's thus said, Greg, I, you know, I think, I don't know what happened. We don't have the clarity of Scripture to know exactly what happened. It could very well be that just as much as I'm telling you that Abram took Lot with him, it could be that Father Terra said, Abram, you take Lot with you. No, it's just, just as true I because we don't have Scripture. We don't have light on it. We don't know for sure what happened. It could have been that Grandpa said, uh, Abram, whatever you do, you ain't leaving Lot here. He's going to go with you. Because Lot was a fair-haired boy. I mean, he was favored, you know, with Father Terra, you know, Abram's father. And he was fair-headed in the family, and people liked, you know, all the family seemed to like him real well and stuff, you know, old blanket. And so I don't know whether it was Abram that said, Lot, you're coming with me, or whether it was Tara that said, Abram, son, you take Lot with you, because he ain't hanging back, he ain't hanging around this town anymore. I don't know. But regardless, blanket went with Abram. You know, and it is, there is comfort and security, isn't there? In that relationship, in relationships, in family. There should be. There's nothing that's totally godly, you know, about friends and so forth. Um, but the problem is, is that, you know, we see over in Genesis chapter 13, which is where we were at a while ago. We can go back there and look. Genesis 13. You see that... Um, you know, over here in verse 5, now Lot, who was moving about with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents. But it says, but the land could not support both he and Abraham while they stayed together because their possessions were too great. They had too many servants, too many donkeys, too many camels, too many all this stuff. And, and, and it got to where they were quarreling over the land and whose sheep ate that mouthful of grass and who got a drink over here. And, you know, we, this is, you know, is just not working real good because they were just, you know, the prosperity of God's favor was just overwhelming both of them, <laughs> you know, in the midst of their, you know, of them being together. And finally, Abram, you know, said to Lot, you know what? Let's not have any quarreling between you and me. And that's my next part of this, this lesson. Your journey may lead you in a different direction from your friends, even your family. If it, if you find that it does, the bottom line is you have to walk in love. You don't have a, you don't, you don't, you, you, yes, you do have a choice, but you have to walk in love if you're going to walk in the promise of God, you know, in this process. And I'm not talking about the love of phileo. I'm talking about the love of God's love that comes from him, that's inborn into you. You know, because of his word inside of you, because of your focus on that promise, because of your desire for the kingdom to be established, you know, through you in this process, you've got to walk in love. And we see that Abram did that, you know, and he said, let's, let's don't have any quarreling. You know, he, he's, Abram's all over this, man. He's like, isn't, you know, look, we got all this land around us. He just tells him, Lot, man, you choose what you want and you, you need to go your way and then I'm going to have to go mine, you know. He, 
I mean, to me, it was love because he, he gave Lot the ultimate choice. Lot had, and if you look down through here, it says, Lot looked around, saw the whole plain, verse 10 of Jordan towards Zoar, saw all this water, all this wonderful, lush riparian area, just great area for raising, you know, livestock. They would never have to worry about, you know, wells running dry, about having fertile soil and all that. And guess what? He took the best looking land there was. And isn't that how it seems the love walk often renders your circumstance oftentimes? You get left with a bag of rocks. Well, it seems like that from your, from a natural perspective. It does oftentimes. That when you choose that high road, when you choose to someone else over your life, it seems like sometimes, oftentimes that you get shafted. <laughs> Just to put it lightly, you know, I can think of a lot of other words, but shafted is pretty good. Um, you know, and Abram, you don't even see Abram even gripe about it. He's just like, okay, you know, Lot, oh, great. You want that? Go for it. It's yours, man. Go. So it says, you know, he, it took off, but then notice what happened. Whenever Lot, whenever Abram made that choice, he allowed, you know, that set, that separation to take place, that it was timely for, for, for it to occur so that Abram can move on in the things of God fully and, 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 and expediently. It says that the Lord said to Abram. So notice he speaks to Abram after these situations. And he talks to him and he says, look around from where you're at. And he says, look at all the directions. And he says that all the land you see, I'll give to you. And I got to imagine that he's sitting there looking at the same place that Lot looked too. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Because because it doesn't say that Abraham went a long distance journey and then God said, look from where you're at. It just says right there. It says after it says the Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are. So he's looking. He has to be looking over the same area that Lot was looking at. Isn't that interesting? He says, all this land that you see, I'm going to give to you and your offspring. See, God's promise is unabated. Unwavering. Y'all see that? See, in the natural mind, you're thinking, oh, I've lost out on the most fertile, you know, part of the land here, you know, because I chose, I, I let Lot have that. No, that's really interesting to me. And then we see that God reiterates the promise to him again. Um, so the love walk, but here's the deal. The love walk demands trust in God, does it not? Oh my goodness. You can't, you can't love people the way God wants you to love people and not trust God in the process, not trust love, capital L, in the process. Y'all see what I'm saying? If you don't have trust for that, that may be a reason why you have a tough time walking in love. Y'all see that? If you have a tough time walking these steps of love out, and I'm not saying that it's not a challenge, it's a challenge. I'm going to say most every time it's a challenge. Because you're talking about letting others have the preference a lot of times over you. You're talking about, again, sacrificing your agenda for someone else's. Y'all see what I'm saying? I'm not saying all the time, but I'm just saying at these Abram Lot experiences that you find yourself in this journey. You see what I'm saying? Like this. You're going to see that, you know, a lot, a lot of times it means you giving them the preference in the matter, just like Abram did. But the thing is, is that you're going to have to trust God in this to walk it out. So if trust isn't there, then forget it. You're, this love walk deal is not going to happen. I'm just, I'm just, that's easy to, easy to, um, convey to me, easy thing to see. So it, it demands trusting God who is the author of love, capital L. And then 
The last thing on this lesson, the fourth lesson, which is your journey may lead you in a different direction from your friends and family. Jesus speaks of how your life for the truth is going to separate. And if you look at Matthew 10, 34 through 38, something that I'm particularly passionate about, I'm passionate about the truth. I, I, I want to always be allied with the truth. I want to be found on the side of truth. I want to speak the truth all the time. I want to understand the truth. I want to divine the truth. I don't want anything else. That's No, I'm, that's just where I'm at. And if guess what? If the truth means that I find out one of my opinions is wrong, then so be it. Let it burn to ashes before you and God. Let it burn to ashes. You know, well, i got some other passionate words to say, but I'm not going to say them here because it might upset some people. But <laughs> Well, that's the truth, man. We get passionate about that. But if you look over to Matthew chapter 10, and then uh, verse 34, see if my technology will work for me. Look what Jesus says. He says, this is red letter again in my Bible and yours. Jesus' word says, do not suppose I've come to bring peace to the earth. And you know, I told you all this back on March 31st. That's an interesting thing, because who is he? He's the Prince of Peace. And here it almost looks like he's counter in his very existence. But the issue is, is that he's talking about the fact that he's talking about this right here, that, that if you're going to always seek after the truth, it's going to divide you from, from things because guess what? The truth is a sword. There is no gray. It's black. It's white. (laughs) When the truth comes down, that's all there is. There's, there's the truth and everything else is, is is a mess, right? And there's a whole lot of everything else. And some of it's really close to the the black and seems black, but it's not. (laughs) It's still on the other side of the sword. Y'all see what I'm saying? Of truth. And so it says, don't suppose I've come to bring peace. And uh, where am I at here? In verse 34, right? I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to turn, and then he quotes scripture here, a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. What, what are we talking about here? We're talking about how your journey in trusting the Lord may lead you to a place, and I will say will lead you to a place at times, that will separate you, take you a different path from your friends and family. Does this seem to be bearing that out? Sure, because if you're desiring to live the truth and walk by the truth, and someone else is not... You see what I'm saying? And that's what Jesus is saying. He says, and he's, when he says, I bring a sword, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the truth. And it says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He's saying, if you make a choice for, for your relationship here on earth over that with your heavenly father, then you're in trouble. You're not going to go with, walk with Jesus. It says, anyone who loves their son or daughter, well, he's elevating the game now. More than me is not worthy of me. And and who is me? Who is the me here? And who is Jesus? And who is, well, who is God in this earth as Jesus? He's the what? The, The word, and the word is truth. When he's saying me, he's saying the truth here. You, you see that? He says, who, so you could replace it and say, anyone who loves their father or mother more than the truth. 
if you love your daughter more than the truth, you're not worthy of it. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow the truth is not worthy of it. And I, I just find that interesting. I want to leave you with that thought with regard to this fourth lesson. Because it's interesting that, you know, that Christ talks about taking up your cross. Cross is a curse. It's a sim, it's symbolic of a curse. But it's, you know what it's really symbolic of in terms of, I think, in the context of this scripture, it's symbolic of your denying yourself for another's cause. That's what Jesus' life was all about. He denied himself for the Father's will. And when you, when he, so I think when Jesus is speaking to his disciples or anybody and talks about taking up your cross, he's talking about you, and he says daily. He said in one scripture that you, anyone who follows after me must take up his cross daily. Right? That's what the scripture says. And so it's a, it's a, that means it's a moment by moment decision here. This, this following God and this trust thing. And, and you have to, and to me, when I look at a cross, I think about my, when you're taking it, when you're taking it up, you're taking it up like Christ did as the one to be put on that cross. So you're recognizing, you know what, this cross represents what I'm going to have myself sacrificed on. This cross represents what, where my agendas and what my desires are going to be placed upon in front of everyone else as a sacrifice for the benefit of them. Does that make sense? That's what Jesus' life was all about. You cannot deny that. And we're called to the same thing. If anyone follows after me, he must pick up his cross daily and follow me. That's what I think he's talking about here. Okay, so let's get out of that lesson. Let's move on to the fifth lesson. God may ask you, again, we're talking about lessons in trust in Abram's life here and trusting God. How, how is it developed? How is it proven out? Fifth lesson, God may ask you to take faith steps, to walk through the land of his promise to help you get a vision for it. You know, it's not enough to get a promise oftentimes. We've got to have, I think, for our own soul's benefit, something to anchor a vision for. You have to have an anchor. You have to have, and it's called vision. And to me, there's no better vision than, than for you to, to, um, place or to visualize the context of that promise being wrought in your life, promise being manifest. And you know what, how God did it with Abram? He told him in Genesis 13, 14, back to Genesis. He says, the Lord said to Abraham, after a lot of pardon, look around you, north, south, everywhere, all the land that you see I'll give to you. And then he says in verse 17, go and walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I'm giving it to you. So here God is, I think we got a wonderful lesson to learn here. Here God is telling Abram, after he's already iterated the promise multiple times to him in different ways, and he's he's already proven out, and he's taking him through various lessons in, in learning how to trust him, but yet here God is, after he's told him this promise, he's expecting him, and he you know he's expecting him to believe it, he, and he is following, he's doing what he's told him to do up to date, but yet here God then goes ahead and just tells him, you know what, just go ahead and walk through the land. I told you to look at it. But now it's time, I, you know, forget the looking. I want you to walk through it. Now, i got to ask you, did the land belong to Abram at that time when he walked through it? No, it hadn't been given to him. Not physical. In the spirit, it had been. 
Because everything with God is yes and amen, his promises. He, his promise is yes. He already, if he, if God says it, it's done. There is, there is no, that's right. There is no, with God, there is no, when I tell you something, it's going to be at some time in the sweet by and by with him, as far as he's concerned, when I utter that word, boom, it's done. But we have to manifest it, bring it from the spirit and manifest the reality in the physical by faith. That's what faith is all about is manifesting the spiritual realities into the physical realm. That's what, that's what I think definition of faith really is, a functional, a real practical definition of it, a functional one. And part of manifesting that promise is getting a vision for it. And so Abram gets a real vision by what God said, you know, all right, I've told you enough about this, just walk through this land. I want you to walk through it, and as far as you walk, the breadth and the length and all this, I'm giving it to you, Abram. Can you see that? So that's the fifth lesson, that God may ask you to take faith steps, may ask you to take some faith steps to walk through the land of his promise and help you get a vision for it. And there's a lot of scriptures that talk about vision. You know, I think about, you know, uh, Habakkuk, you know, and, you know, write that vision down, make it plain. I mean, it's so important. There's there's things that you need to do that will help inspire and create vision in you for what God's told you. And listen to the Holy Ghost. Listen to your spirit. That's where the Holy Spirit lives. He's right all the time at beck and call to lead you into the truth that you have. That's the thing, though, is you've got to get that promise in here. It can't be just, it's, it, it, this isn't the realm of manifestation of God. This is the realm of his existence. It's called the spirit. Now, to get into this realm, it's all, everything starts here first, folks. I can't get this over clear enough to you. I don't, I mean, I mean, enough. I hope it becomes clear. It all starts here in the spirit. You have to begin here. A lot of people's like, well, you know, I just know about the promise. I know what God's told me and all. And they're so focused on how they're working things out from a soulish perspective. But the bottom line is they don't really even have a concept. And most importantly, a vision for the promise because it's not been born really here. And you got to spend some time going back between, you know, when you're in that place between Ai and Bethel and you worship the Lord and you seek his counsel. And you ask him to, to, for his wisdom. You ask him, you know, for his guidance and for his surety in this. And so it's very, very important to get a vision, you know, for, and, and, and to have that plainly, uh, uh, before you, you know, in the process of trusting the Lord, you know, and seeing that, that promise manifest. Well, we're moving on here. Let's go to sixth lesson. Sixth lesson is real simple. There will be battles. In your, in your life's journey in trusting the Lord, in your life's lessons in learning how to rely upon the Lord and not lean to your understanding. Man, that's, that's a scripture. You know, that was Grandma Brown's favorite scripture, wasn't it? It's what I was told. Trust in the Lord always and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. You know, and the Lord will direct your paths. And is that right? Yeah. That was my, that was my wife's grandmother, great grandmother. So, or her grandmother anyway. And she, that was her favorite scripture. Well, there it is right there. Trust in the Lord and don't lean to your understanding. Don't lean to your understanding. I'll say it again. Don't lean to your understanding. <laughs> that's, uh, that's so important. Okay, so sixth lesson, there will be battles. You know, um, and in Genesis 14, 
uh, let's just turn back there for just a minute or half a minute or even less. Genesis 14. So now we see, you know, that blanket is still causing some issues for Abram. And, you know, and it's a wonderful lesson. And there's some great things that are that are, you know, iterated here as a result of of, um, you know, this situation. But the bottom line is, you know, blanket ends up, you know, captured by the enemy, taken away along with all of his family and everything he owns. And, you know, Abram, the report comes to Abram, and of course, Abram is not one to leave his nephew in that lurch. And so, you know, Abram mounts, you know, 300 men against untold thousands. You know, yeah, come on, 300, you know, of the ones that were actually trained to do any kind of fighting. It's like, uh, you know, and, and, and 300 odd men, and he goes, you know, and of course we know the story. He goes down and chases these guys down and just whips the living tar out of them, man. And not just whips them, but I mean plunders them. Takes everything they bag, guys, gets, gets lot and everything else, and then some back, you know. So there's a battle there, right? I mean, he's, Abraham's, Abram's occupying the land that God's promised him. He's walked through it. He's got the vision, you know, now. He's still learning, though, that you're going to have to fight some battles. In the process. And so he's doing that through this, through this. You know, and I think in the, in the New Testament, in particular in Romans 8.37, you don't have to turn there, but it just says, no, in all these things, Paul says, to, you know, to the Romans, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I love the, the particular revelation I feel like the Holy Spirit's given to me about that scripture, and that is, to say someone is more than a conqueror, what does that really mean? Well, to me, it means very simply that you're given the victory before you enter the battle. Because if you're more than a conqueror is one who wins the battle. So if you're more than a conqueror, then you must have that victory assured before you enter the battle. Y'all see that? And I love the way Paul says that under the entrance of the Holy Spirit to the Romans. Oh, in all these things. In all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. So realize that though you're going to have battles, it's 100% guaranteed. Understand that when you have the promise of God backing what you're doing and his favor in that process and you're you're walking in the life that you have, you will win the battle. You're already assured of the victory before you go through the battle. That's what That's what that Romans 8.37 says to me. But that, again, can't be a leaning to your understanding. That has to be a, a, you have to get a revelation about that. You have to get a revelation of that. John 16.33, uh, don't turn there, just listen. John 16.33, it says, Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. He doesn't say in this world you might have trouble. In this world you'll have trouble five times. In this world you'll have trouble only on Tuesdays. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. This is Jesus now. Come on. He's telling his disciples this. But then he finishes up. Let's don't leave it in the trouble. He says, but take heart. In other words, stir up your confidence, your boldness in this process. Because I've overcome the world. And if I've overcome it, and I'm going to turn around and give you my seat of, of victory in this process, then you are overcomers in that. Already before you start. I think that's what Paul is talking about. He was just iterating further revelation on what Jesus talked about there. 
Because Jesus overcame and, and conquered. Well, then guess what? If we choose to accept by faith Jesus' victory, then we already got the victory before we enter it because Jesus already beat it. I think that's what the Spirit of God was leading Paul in there for the light on in eight thirty-seven. That's thus saith Greg, but it seems right to me. Okay, so that's the sixth lesson. There will be battles. Man, we're moving right through this. Seventh lesson. Okay, ready for the seventh lesson? God will, know this, God will reiterate his promise to you, and he'll challenge your perspective in the process. He will challenge your perspective, but he'll reiterate the promise to you. And if you don't believe me, let me just give you a chronicling of what I just had here. Don't, don't, don't turn there. Oh, what were you going to say? Yeah, uh, God will reiterate his promise to you and challenge your perspective. Attitude is everything. It is. Because guess what? Attitude is really perspective. It's how you're looking at something. It's how you're taking it in, how you're processing it. That's attitude. And it's really everything. I've told my son this, Josiah, so many times. Son, attitude is everything. And it is because you can be in the most horrible circumstance and all you're focused on is that circumstance. And I'll give you a good example. Let's say that you broke your finger. This is kind of a weak example, but I think it's a good one. You're so focused on the pain and the dysfunction of that one digit that you forget about the nine that are perfectly fine. Y'all see what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. Your perspective. And then what if the doctor says to you, well, hey, man, your other nine ones are working good. What do you think about that? (laughs) You know, God does that to us. No, he does. I mean, he gives you that challenge. And and then all of a sudden, if you can, if you can get past it, you realize, you know what? Thank God, man, my other fingers work. That they're not all broke. You know, because they could all be broke and then I can't do nothing, you know. And and do you see what I'm saying? Perspective, attitude, how you're looking at something. Genesis, I'm going to give you just real quick rundown. Genesis 12, 2 through 3, that's the very first time God enunciates the promise. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I'll curse you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Genesis 12, 7. Uh, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring or seed, I'll give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Genesis three fourteen through 17. God says again, The Lord said to Abraham after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are to the north and south, the east and west. All the land that you see, I'll give to you and your offspring forever. I'll make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust and your offspring could be counted, go walk through the length and breadth of it, for I'm giving it to you. Genesis fourteen nineteen. The blessing of Abraham is actually here, not confirmed by God, but by a man. His name is Melchizedek. And, um, you know, to put it, to put it to rest, at least thus saith Greg now, I'm not telling you anything here that God has just said 100% manifested and said, Greg, this is absolutely it. There's a lot of dysfunction and weirdness about Melchizedek. And I've been on it too. But I think it's pretty easy to understand Melchizedek was a man. He wasn't Jesus. Because Jesus isn't a priest after the order of himself. He was a different man. You see what I'm saying? Melchizedek was. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. That's faith, Greg. But, you know. But here we see the promise of God 
in the favor of God upon Abram, uh, confirmed by a man, Melchizedek. In Genesis 14, he says, and he blessed Abram, saying, this is Melchizedek, blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. There it is, blessing confirmed, favor of God confirmed by a man. Okay, Genesis 15, 5, he took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars if you indeed can count them. <laughs> See, and I think it's interesting, and it doesn't stop there. He goes on a couple more times to iterate the promise with regard to Isaac co- coming, being born, and so forth. I didn't even cover all of them. But just in the scriptures that we've covered to, you know, to date, right there is about, what, six different ways that God iterated the promise to Abram. And every time it was a little bit different, wasn't it? It gave a little bit more light, a different perspective. It gave an opportunity for Abram to change the way he was looking at it. Do you all see that? It gave him to, to take in more fullness about what the promise, you know, what was, you know, what it, what it uh, meant. Okay, so anyway, everybody's still thinking about Melchizedek. Get off that. Attitude is everything. Attitude comes from perspective. It comes from how you're looking at stuff. If you are not willing to change your perspective, your attitude will not change. Let's just get that out on the table, that, that the ugly animal, and look at him. If you will not, if you are, are unrelenting in your the way you're looking at something, then your attitude will not change. It will always be the same. Y'all see that? I mean, it's it's so inspiring, and we all get inspired by it. But you look at folks, at, at people that are born with handicap issues, you know, physical or mental, and you see what challenges they face, and you're like, and and you, but yet you see the things they accomplish through, despite that handicap, in spite of it. You know, and I know the guy's up for murder charge or whatever, but Oscar Pistorius, I mean, that dude, man, he's the Blade Runner, runs on the blades, and he ran in the Olympics. My goodness. My goodness, dude doesn't have lower legs. And he's running in the Olympic final for world's fastest man. Come on now. That dude can run circles around me and I got two good legs. But I'm just saying we get inspired by those stories and stuff, but guess what? Perspective. Attitude. Oscar Pistorius could have probably said from the time he was a little kid, these legs are never going to get me anywhere in life. And stayed in that, kept looking at it like that, and he would have never got to where he went. Okay, let's get off that. Um, the seventh, okay, so that's the seventh lesson. Wow, we're moving through. Praise the Lord. Got five minutes. Eighth lesson. It's okay to ask questions. Just ensure your motivation is right and that you're open to God's answer. God never says, son, when I tell you something, you don't, I don't want you to ever ask me about it. Or daughter. You know? No! Man, my goodness, God's not a dictator. He's not giving orders up there to say, you do it. And then, and it's just, yes sir, and you don't even, now you need to have that level of obedience and willingness to respond to God's word. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, God is as much person as you are. He, he understands how you're, do you think he understands how you're made? He made you. He made you in his image. How about that? God's a reasoning person. He's a person that wants to know answers. You, you all see that? And he created you with that too. It's okay to ask questions. Just make sure your motivation is right. And make sure you're willing 
to, to be, that you're open to the answer. Now, if you're not open to the answer, forget it. Forget it. It doesn't make any difference what God tells you, because if you're not open, then, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's ridiculous. Foolishness. And, and I want you to see like just one uh, aspect here. You know, it was in, I think, 15.2. It says, but Abram said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? So here Abram is asking a very legitimate question. And he wasn't challenging God. He's just, he, he's trying to get his soul to reconcile with his heart in terms of like, okay, I, I see, I'm seeing this in my heart. It's, it seems, it, this is right. I trust this. But it's like, but all I see here is this, is Eleazar. I, and you're telling me about a seed and about the fact I'm going to be the father of many nations and as many as the stars are in the sky. So will my offspring be, it's like, so, you know, help me to understand how that promise is going to come out. <laughs> come to be, you know, because all I'm seeing here, there's nothing wrong with that. God, Abram did it. And, you know, and, and then we see how God answered him. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. It is, it established the covenant. You know, it started the, 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 uh, um, events that established that covenant. And that is the ninth lesson and almost the end here. It's okay. The ninth or the ninth lesson is, Complete trust is a process that ultimately ends in establishing the covenant of God in your life. That's a, man, I tell you what, that's shouting ground right there. Because we see in, in, in chapter 15, the covenant established with man through Abram. And, and, um, we see it's the, the matrix broke for the covenant with man right there. Boom. And, um, I'm not saying that the work was, it was all 100% complete, <laughs> but it began the process for the finality of the blood covenant that would ultimately be cut between God and man, the man being Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord. Uh, but, but that's, that process started right there, and we see that, guess what? All of that took place because of this process of trust that God was working in Abraham, or Abram. You see that? And then after that, you know, we see uh, another iteration of that. And then Abram's name actually gets changed to Abraham, you know, and God actually inserts a portion of his name in his, in Abram's name to Abraham, you know, father of many nations. Okay. Um, so that's the ninth lesson. And, you know, I already talked about that. Get the tape from uh, March 31st if you want to hear about that lesson, because I talked about that and the promise and so forth about the covenant being cut and different things. Do you all remember that? I'm not going to go over that again. So I would ask those of you all that weren't there on Sunday to go get the listen to to the tape, because um, there's some really good things there about the about this uh, ninth lesson of trust. Now, can I ask you permission for a couple more minutes and we'll finish this up? Because I told you I'll be done at eight o'clock. I'm a man of my word. Lord help me. And, and I would be done exactly at eight, which is in about 20 seconds. But if you'll give me permission, I'll move on and we'll finish with the last lesson. Okay. Is that, is that cool? Okay. The tenth, the tenth lesson, the tenth lesson, trust lets God perform the promise. Trust lets God perform the promise. And now I'm going to end it with this. To his end, capital H. To his end, not to yours. And all I have to talk about is Isaac 
and Ishmael. As the, as the, uh, you know, as the model of that lesson. Do y'all see that? Everybody, I think, is familiar with that concept and familiar with the, with the story and what happened. And, you know, uh, um, Robert, UPS guy. Robert Turner. My mind just went completely blank. I know who Robert Turner is, my goodness. Anyway, he was, he has some tremendous revelation on aspects, you know, of this story that I'd invite you to go talk with him about. Very good revelation. Very neat insight. I'm not going to even attempt to iterate any of that. But suffice it to say, yours is not to perform the promise. It's God to perform the promise. Yours is to walk out the steps and be the vessel through which it's manifest. And, you know, Abram, we see, we know that story that Abraham, you know, Sarah comes in and she has this great idea. Okay, you know, no, it's not Eleazar, but guess what? You know, we've got this servant. It seems like God will not open my womb. And so, you know, this servant, you could marry her and we could, you know, bring the promise through her womb. And it seems right. And it seems that there's a lot of elements of truth and promise mixed into that process. And there is. But I gotta tell you, it's not God's, the fullness of God's promise. So what I would remind you to do is go back and look at God's promise and see what it says before you start doing stuff. Because did God say, He said, your seed. But, and He didn't mean, He didn't mean, He meant bringing through your loins. And actually that's the thing that, uh, Robert Turner uh, talks about. The loins actually are the, the, the bowels and actually it means womb. And so it's really through Sarah, her actual womb. He, guess whose Abram's womb was? It was Sarah. That's right. His covenant partner. It was Sarah. It was her womb that the promise would be brought through, not anyone else's. And God already told, and God tells her that. You know, Jesus manifests with a couple angels down there. You know? And, but yet, oh my goodness. But how many times do we do this? Do we, do we try to work out the promise because, you know, it's been 25 years since God's been telling me this and I'm just still not seeing it. And I'm a hundred years old. And they don't have Viagra for me to make things work physically. I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm just a realist. Abram was a hundred years. I, I mean, come on, guys. I mean, let's just be practical here. And Sarah's even laughing up in the tent. You know, my goodness. I hear the guy, I hear Jesus. She don't know who that is out there, but the Lord, you know, uh, he's out there talking about how it'll come through Sarah and she laughs in herself. You know, of course, you know, he said, I heard you laugh. No, you didn't hear me laugh. And, and she's just, because she's looking at this, she's looking at saggy parts of her anatomy and, and considering the fact that she hasn't had any, you know, issues of, you know, that bring forth any potential that she could have a child. Any manifestation physically for a long time. It's well past the season of her childbearing. Well past. Not just a couple, three or four years, or even ten years, or even fifteen years. I mean, it's way (laughs) past the time. You know, so I'm just saying, it is never too late for God. Amen? Never too late. Trust will not question that. Trust will allow... He who can perform all things to perform it to his end and will allow and rely upon it to be done without your help. 
outside of obedience and complete obedience. Remember the story of Saul I talked about last week? Saul mostly obeyed. I would say, honestly, or frankly, if you look at, at, at all the things that, you know, that the prophet told him to do by unction of the word of God, he probably fulfilled 95% of what? You know, 90 to 95%. Man, that's a lot. I mean, that's an A, right? 95 out of 100? Man, that's an A. I don't know what grade school or curve you get graded on, but that's an A in my book. Not in God's book. Not when it comes to obedience, man. If he's giving you a word, you do exactly what he says, and you don't do anything else beyond what it says. Right? Saul didn't do that, and we see what happened. It cost him. It cost him his very life. Even though he obeyed most of it. I'm going to say that again. I can't really get off the obedience. You can obey 95% of it. You can obey 99.9%, but there's still that tenth of a percent. You see what I'm saying? That you didn't obey, and you and it's like Paul said, you, you, you violated all of it, all the law. Y'all see that? So it's very, very important to let God, to, if, if you trust God, then you're going to let him perform the promise. And uh, we also see it bore out in the example of the sacrifice of Isaac. You know, I, that story bothered me for a long time. How could a God who led Abram and then eventually cut covenant with him and to bear to bring forth a promise, how could that God, that loving God that we know loves us, that we know loved Abram, how could he ever even conceive of that as something to, to ask Abraham to do? I mean, I, I, I just, you know, but then when you understand blood covenant, you understand entirely why it happened. You know, and I don't want to get into talking about that because it's real hard for me to stop talking when I start talking about covenant, especially blood covenant. Um, here, well, the reason why, you know, the reason, so the bottom line is Abraham did obey, didn't he? He took that boy up. He took that promise up. So you see what I'm saying? It's allowing the manifestation of the promise to his end, capital H. And what is his end? We don't know what his end is. It might be that he demands that promise be put up on the altar. The very thing that you've waited all these years to see born out in your life, the very thing that you think is the pinnacle of what God's called you to do and to walk and establish his kingdom for, and then God demands that. You all see that? Boy, that's what happened with Abraham. You know, I'm going to go up. To, I'm going to have some talks with Abraham when we get to heaven. I'm going to ask him, man, what was going through your mind? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, there's a lot of things to talk about there. You know, a lot of people, there's pictures about, you know, Isaac being this little kid and stuff. He wasn't a little kid. He wasn't a little kid. He's a teenager. By, by what most scholars will tell you, they can prove out by scripture, he was a teenager. It'd be like me taking my son Josiah. That boy would have to willingly, he'd have to obey me and trust me in that process. Well, anyway, I don't want to get off on that, but. Okay, praise the Lord. That's it. Hallelujah. We finished it and it's just seven minutes after eight. And I'm not telling you that I iterated perfectly everything to do with the, how to trust God in this process, but we learned some good lessons, didn't we? We did. And you know, I had probably one of the highest compliments, uh, and I'm not to be looking for compliments paid to me on Sunday by somebody. And they said, you know, Greg, they said, he said, man, he said, like, unlike a lot of people, he said, you really, 
inspire people to inspire me to want to study. And you know what, man? I about hit the floor crying. Because as a teacher, that is what your primary motivation should be. It's not your, it's not yours to try to disseminate the fullness of the knowledge. It's yours to give enough precepts about things to get people and inspire them to go look for themselves and learn. Amen? It's the Holy Ghost who's the teacher, not me. And so, man, if we're going to be inspiration that way, and that's what I hope with this, it will do. I hope it will inspire you to dig deeper, to dig deeper into the lesson of trusting God through the model of Abram's life. Okay, uh, be dismissed in a word of prayer. Father, again, we're grateful. I thank you, Holy Spirit. It is the will of the Father that you were sent to lead us into truth and knowledge. That's one of your primary purposes. Well, I've done my best, oh God, for your word to be spoken, for your truth to be disseminated. Oh, Holy Spirit, I ask you would, you would do what you do best, hallelujah, and that's lead us into revelation, into knowledge, that it enlighten our soul, Lord God. It illuminates our path, shows us where we're at, shows us where we're going, oh God. Thank you that we can trust you, oh God. Thank you that we're learning how to do that. Despite circumstance, despite what things are screaming at our soul, Father, or at our body. God, in fact, right now we declare we trust in the living God. We trust in you, O Father. We trust in you, O Father. And we just thank you that you are a sure foundation. You are, and everything you say is yes and amen. And we are grateful for those great and precious promises. Uh, oh God, whereby, Father God, our hope is anchored, Father, and our vision, Father God, is cast. And we're just grateful right now for your safety, Father, that no evil can befall us or disaster come near us. In the name of Jesus, amen.